This is the Doc Talk Podcast presented by Betfred Sports 2024, Episode 4. Stop your complaining. I know it's been a while. In fact, it's been over a month since we've been in the basement. And uh, the reason behind that is Dr. Rob Zadiska has been a busy, busy father. You've been a busy father, right? You had all the wrestling shit you had to take had care of. Had to get of. it done with. I shouldn't say get it done with. We, it, it, it's happening. I got to go. It's the thing. How did the state wrestling tournament go, my friend? It was, you know, it went solid. She got upset in the quarterfinals, which I think is going to gnaw at her for a while, knowing her. But the came back, finished fourth. She Actually, she and the number one overall seed both got upset in the quarters. Oh, wow. And they ended up meeting in the third, fourth place match. So, so now is it uh, a whole year off, or is she going to be wrestling? I said, she made some national team, right? Or, or yeah, Nebraska? it's like yeah, so Nebraska, USA wrestling. So it's like the governing body for any sport. Yeah. I mean, it's there's USA swimming, USA wrestling, USA track and field. It's the governing body for youth all the way through up to the Olympics. So Nebraska's. I don't know if chapter is the right word, but the, the Nebraska coalition for the for USA wrestling. Um, is putting together. They're trying to essentially trying to grow it on the whole, especially in terms of getting kids towards the international competition, your Pan Am Games, Olympic Games, World Championships, etc. Uh, and so they're to one of the things they're the leadership within the state has done is basically putting together. Uh, a, a training team. So they're kind of establishing a training center for wrestling in the state of Nebraska for a lot of these younger kids, junior high, high school kids who are thinking about a wrestling in college, but also have an interest in doing it for USA wrestling on a national or international level. Um, and so they're going to basically, it'll be kind of like I said, just that it, it's essentially a, a, a statewide training center for for wrestlers in the state of Nebraska and uh, uh, Coach Pack, who's the head wrestling coach down at Southeast Community College, and they've got the wrestling is down on the Beatrice campus. But they're gonna they've got scheduled practices and training sessions that are gonna happen down there, uh, going on here over the next several months, basically up until when the high school season starts. But it's all geared towards kind of developing the sport a little bit more with an emphasis on getting more Nebraskans onto those national teams. All right, before we bring in our guest, uh, I do want to tell everybody, if you have not started uh, subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, please do so. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you. If you have not subscribed yet, just hit the subscribe button. Uh, if you don't follow Dr. Rob on Twitter, you can do that at Sports. You can also follow me on Twitter at Travis Creates. Now, into the basement for officially the second time, but the first time for the Doc Talk podcast, look who it is. A former teammate, Brendan Stye. What's up, man? How are you? Good, good. Do, do you guys hang meat down here? It's a little cold. See, now, see, that's your Arizona blood coming out, dude. <laughs> Cali. That, Cali. Is it Cali? Cali. Thin blood. Well, Arizona, two years, and then Cali. So, all right, there. We got it. So, yeah. It's all warm. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. I don't think there's any insulation in this. So, Owen uh, wants to, the visionary, uh, wants to tear all the walls out, put insulation up, and and make it like a really good looking studio. But, uh, Owen, what, what are we lacking uh, when it comes to making that happen? 
Um, your willingness? No, no, <laughs> no. That would be my money is what what we're lacking. I, the, the two guys sitting here could probably pay for it with one paycheck. I, I have to work like two years to get it done. Uh-huh. So you were out raising money today before you came here, and I yeah. thought it was interesting because you the first thing you said when you walked in was, "You guys got quite a following." Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I mentioned the fact that I was going to be visiting you guys this afternoon, and they're like, wow, they haven't been on in a while. I'm like, Doc Talk, yeah, it's a it's a thing. Has it actually been a month? Yeah, it, matter of fact, I posted the Bruce Chubbuck interview on January 28th. Wow, yeah. okay, yeah, that was right before sub-districts. Yeah, so it, it's we took a whole month off. I, I promised, I was going to try to do two a month. But I wanted to be respectful of your of your fatherhood and and not call you all the time and give you well, the time and, off. Well, the thing, I mean, so there was the wrestling thing. There was other stuff too. Like, so I didn't. I broke my ankle. What? No, it was my, it was a minor fracture. But I mean, that kind of slowed me down a little bit. Self medicated though. You're good. Well, I know a bunch of orthopedic surgeons, <laughs> which is really really now, helpful. Here's the funny part, Brendan. Yeah. He fell on the bleachers. He was walking no. down and fell in front of everybody. I was at a, we were at a big wrestling tournament down in Olathe, <laughs> Olathe yeah. South, and uh, I'm walking. I'm, I get up to go walk down to the gym floor, and it's. I look down the row, and I'm like, "Well, I can make six people stand up and get out of my way to go to the stairs, which mm-hmm. would have been smart." Or I look in front of me, there's nobody. It's just, you know, you like walk on top of the bleachers. Mm. I'm like, well, I'll just do that. It'll be great. Take, I don't know what, three steps and kaboom. Ah. And it's those old school, uh, like high school wooden bleachers. So when you land on them, it just makes this ear shattering bang. Oh, yeah. And I I mean, I look up and there's probably 300 people in the gym and at least 100 of them are looking at me. Did you get an applause? Did you land no. gracefully? Oh, no, it was Rob. like a lot of dear gods. Like, how are we gonna get? How are we gonna get that <laughs> thing up off the? Right. You're not up small, off the Rob. You're not no, small. I'm not. <laughs> Neither one of you guys are. So the the rules of the basement are: we just uh, we we talk about just about anything, we and we drink. Now, Rob and I are drinking beer, and we want to thank Steve Swanstrom from Centris Federal Credit Union, the president and CEO there, who was his daughter goes to uh, dental college up in uh, up at Marquette, and he always brings back the new Glarus. You're drinking the seltzer. I, I, tech, I yeah. emailed you the other day. I said, hey, what kind yeah. of beer do you like? And you're yeah. like, yeah, I'm only going to do the tequila or the seltzers because you got the diverticulitis. Is that yeah, what it is? Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, it's the irony of it is, you know, I'm part owner in a brewery and I can't drink it. Which one are you part owner in? Imperial Nails. Okay. Yeah, we were the first micro in that state of Nebraska. And now we're in 12 different states, but... Yeah, it's it's a shame because I, I absolutely love beer, uh, especially the micros, the IPAs, and just come to find out, you know, I was having some issues uh, with my stomach, and you know, I went in and saw a doctor, and he's like, "Well, what's your diet? What are you eating?" He goes, "Let's let's try you on some fiber, and then let's see if you can kind of figure out what's irritating it." And sure enough, uh, any sort of smaller seed or yeast in the beer is what was upsetting my stomach. So what kind of pain? Is it like you're passing a stone? What the hell is it? It feels like it. It feels very sharp. Um, It's down in kind of like your lower abdomen area. And come to find out, I had some tests done, and I've got diverticuli throughout my entire stomach. Really? Yeah. And so typically it happens like in areas, you know, you'll get inflamed. There's little pockets where, um, you know, you get the infection and it gets inflamed. I've got those pockets throughout, so... Um, you know, you figure it out. Popcorn's another one. I, gosh darn it, man, I love popcorn. That's a like that's a religion for me, right? Yeah. Watching a movie, you got to have popcorn. Don't eat it anymore. Sucks. So what can you? I mean, 
How come the because te- tequila has no grain in it, right? Right. It's a white alcohol. Um, tequila, non-irritant. You know, matter of fact, it's like a, I guess, a probiotic for your stomach. It helps you digest. Oh, there you go. Wow. The, okay. Yeah, the probiotic science. Drink tequila. Yeah. You know, he sounded oh, more like a doctor than you are. <laughs> a little bit right little there. Bit. All of a yeah. sudden, I'm sitting here going like, okay, tequila. It's good for you. It is. It's a white alcohol. <laughs> it's good for you. You got it. Now, I'm, everything in moderation, Rob. Right. Well, if a little's good, a lot's got to be better. Yes, now, you've absolutely. hung out with Rob. Rob doesn't do anything in moderation. No, no. Do you know how many times not. he's been been here in the basement? We get to, we record for two hours. He's like, i got to stick around for about three hours more. Cause <laughs> it's like an hour. Can't get enough. <laughs> Rob, you, you've passed out here before. No, that was a nap. Was good. I took a, a nap. He's tired. It was a nap. I work hard. I took a nap. That's it. You know, I nap. I podcast super hard. Yes, you do. <laughs> we mentioned it's your second time to the basement, and you, we had the... Here's what... I've never talked about this, because I thought it was going to be like this big secret l- release, but we recorded, what, three or four podcasts with the entire pop pipeline, minus Zach, because Zach just doesn't show up. I'm just having fun with that. Yep. You guys... He's hard to track he, down. He is. He, he's, a he's a busy, busy guy. Busy he's got guy. a really big one in the hopper right now. I don't know if you read about it. Iowa State. Oh, really? Yeah, Goldenrod, uh, they're doing a huge $250 million project. How much do you ask him for money? Say, hey, dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, dude. Um, but uh, whatever happened to all those pod? We did like four podcasts. Yeah, what happened? I, I don't know. I got to talk to Joel and Aaron. I think we're still planning on doing sort of like a, a timed release with them. Right. They're outdated now. Yeah, a little bit. How can they be outdated? We were talking about us in the 1990s. Right. <laughs> a little retro. <laughs> it's uh, It's timeless. It's it, thank you. Yeah. There you so. go. All right. Timeless. Yeah. But uh, I always wondered what happened to those because we recorded them like last August. Well, don't you have them on your well, stack? I, I don't because we get we sent them all to Joel. Oh, Joel's got them. Joel's got them. Mm. All I know is Joel's Owen, got a plan. Owen's got he, he got paid for him. I know that because he, he got the engineering fee. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he put that in the savings or in the band account, but he's uh, <laughs> he got he got paid. Bought guitar strings. Yeah. But you, but what you'll find is you had the best intentions, and Rob knows this doing this podcast. So how long we've been going? Like eleven years, right? Wow. For, yeah. I mean, well, for the pod, yeah, because I thought it was twenty thirteen. Yeah. yeah. You guys, I remember when I first came out in two thousand and seven and eight. You were doing something with him yeah, on TV, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were doing Sound Off on Sunday nights on Channel Three. That right. started. I started with Tommy, and then he T-Frage. went. Yeah, then he went to work for Steve Peterson, and Steve Peterson just to let you know hates my fucking guts. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I'm sure the feelings are mutual. Uh, yeah. Well, it was weird, and then I thought I was in the clear. Then weird sh- kind of defines that whole situation. It, it really does. Mm-hmm. And the the crowning moment came when I went up to pitch up in Dundee, and I'm just sitting there having dinner with my wife, and his wife came up and just accosted me. What? Oh yeah, in front of everybody, just just laid into me. So I felt, you know, I kept my cool. And then she had her whole family there because, and then I bought the whole table drinks. I said, hey, mea copa, here, I bought, spent like $200 on drinks. She didn't thank me. She didn't, she just, whatever. I'm like. That's bad juju. It is bad juju. Yeah. But, but he went to work for Steve and Steve was like, yeah, you can't do that show anymore. We don't want you on there. And Rob came on and that was 2003. No, that was like. 
No, it was because I was still five in, or six. Well, no, you know what? Actually, probably it was probably like oh two, oh three. Yeah. So okay. him and I have been together since two thousand three doing wow. this stuff. And then yeah. when when I retired from television, I said, "Hey, you want to do a podcast?" Actually, it's Dave Remington who goes, "You guys thought about podcasting?" We're like, "Sure." Yeah. So Dave was I'm like, like, "What's a podcast?" Yeah, <laughs> we were podcasting before podcasting was cool. And we've been going for what you know, eleven, you know, like 12 11 years. years yeah, so awesome. Yeah, it's grown, and thanks to Owen, we've got the YouTube channels now. We've got cameras all over the place, and it's. But we we never did the off season podcast, and last year we started doing some interviews, and they just were a lot of fun. It was just fun to bring people in. Aaron Graham came in. Uh, I forget who else. Oh, God, my brother. Do we yeah, your brother came in. Kind of Joe Mowgli's been in here a couple times, yeah. but uh, it's just been a lot of fun. So we we usually get people to to let their guard down, and have a little bit of fun. So we, we, you have to open up with us today. You you got to be you got to you got to just. <laughs> he gives me that look like screw you, man. I'm not opening <laughs> up. I've been there before. I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, let's just start off simple one. How the hell do you end up at Nebraska? Good question. Um, so this goes back to my sophomore year. Well, actually, actually goes to my freshman year. Uh, and where are you at this point? I'm in Esper- I'm at Esperanza in Anaheim, California, which is your Belinda, where I grew up, Richard Nixon's hometown. Okay, um, that's where the library is and whatnot. So, as a freshman coming in in the football program, you have to take shop, right? You have to take um, you know you weld stuff together and whatnot, and you have to build your own squat rack. So we did as a freshman, and we worked out in that for four years. Back when it was legal to advertise for colleges with um, posters and whatnot, that the schools would send school high schools advertisement for you know their universities. In my squat rack, above the mirror where I worked out, there was a picture of the old weight room and it had a little bubble picture of Boyd Epley, Dean Stein Cooler, and Dave Remington, and then the old uh, you know the old uh, ventilation. Uh, whatever you call that, that had Nebraska football on it. Yeah. Remember that old one? Yeah. Like one of those steel tubes that just – Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, That's what you're talking yeah, about. yeah. So the duct work, the yep, big yep. old tubes. Um, and before they had the platform, it was more like of an Olympic um, artwork that they had up there. It was speed, yeah. strength, and agility. Remember that? It was like – Yeah, it had like the, the, the ring rings. pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, So I worked out literally in front of this for four years squatting in this rack, doing everything that I had to do as a football player in this rack. My 10th grade year, I, my first letter I ever got was from Purdue. Um, and back then they used to they used to advertise, or not advertise, but they would recruit by sending coaches questionnaires. Do you have any players that we would be interested in? Send back this questionnaire. That was how recruiting used to happen, especially out of state nationally. And so Purdue, I get this letter from Purdue, and the next letter I got was from Nebraska. And, of course, back then, I didn't know anything about these schools, right? I mean, Nebraska, the, the most I ever got from Nebraska was Thanksgiving versus Oklahoma or a bowl game. And so as my junior year started, the recruiting got a little bit heavier. Uh, I was a Pac-10 guy, right? UCLA, USC, Arizona, Arizona State, Washington, Oregon, Oregon State, Washington State, a uh, little San Diego State in there. Um, and then some random ones nationally. I got some from Miami. I got the Purdue one and Nebraska. And really, that was kind of the core of the people that were recruiting me. Nebraska never really blipped on my radar. So then the guy that uh, I actually played with, Keith Navidi, he was the number one defensive tackle in Southern Section, California. Nebraska really loved him. Washington was really high on me. And so... 
Turned out one summer, it was before Keith and I's senior year, we're working out in the same weight room. You and Keith were the same class. Yeah, same class. <clears throat> Coach Darlington came to a workout in the summer, walks in the weight room, and Keith and I are in that squat rack getting after it and looks at my coach and says, that's Keith, who's that? And he's like, well, you've been recruiting. You've been sending you – know, you were asking about that. That's Brendan Stye and this and that and the other. And he goes, can I watch his film? So they go into the uh, the portable football office that we had there, and George tells the story is it took two minutes for me to watch Brendan, and then I knew that's who we needed. And so it was interesting, you know that that level of recruiting it amped up with with George. He was around, he was calling me. My junior was going into my senior year. They, I want to say no, it was my senior year. They played Florida State in the Fiesta Bowl, and they were losing at halftime by like four touchdowns. He called me at halftime to say, hey. That was on a rotary phone, really, by the way. We really like you. Uh, <laughs> don't look at the score. Things are changing around here, that kind of thing. And so, you know, be, because I was from Arizona, right? I was born in Phoenix, grew up in Southern California. My mom's family, they're from Arizona, right? I grew up a Sun Devil fan. And at the time, uh, Marmy, Coach Marmy, uh, their offensive line coach, I, I don't remember his name, but he would come to my practices during the season, during the middle of the week, excusing himself from his own preparation for the next game, flying in to see me. So they were heavy, heavy on me, and I had committed verbally to them because they just were graduating a guy named Randall McDaniel who played oh, for the yeah. Pretty good player. He was okay. Yeah. A little <laughs> Hall of Fame action there. The unique Randall stance, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's a that's a cool story, by the way, if you've ever heard. We'll talk about it later. But And then a guy named Todd Kalis. So they ran the same system that we ran in high school, running the football. And so it really, to me, it, it seemed like a perfect fit. It was comfortable, right? My family was over there. Um, you know, I was close to my girlfriend, who's now my wife, been with her since I was 16. So you and I have a lot in common. That's what my right? wife. Yeah. And so as it, as it shakes out, um, you know, Arizona state was my verbal commitment. I only took three official visits and the rest of them were, I would go to games. I mean, everything was in close proximity. It's kind of what happens when you're, you know, in an area where there's a lot of schools Yeah, doesn't count against a recruiting visit. So the USC games, um, you know, Oregon would come down, Zimbukas, their O-line coach there. You know, I'd do a UCLA-Oregon game and get the best of both worlds. And so anyhow, um, came down to basically verbal, verbally committing to Arizona State. And then it was about three weeks before signing day, okay? Three weeks. I'm sitting in a portable classroom. Our high school was getting too big, so they had a bunch of these portable classrooms. My coach comes in and excuses me from class. And at the time, they had an ADA ramp, and it was a morning class. And my coach says, I want to introduce you to somebody. And I look I look down this portable ramp, and at the bottom of the ramp, there's this gentleman with red hair. The sun's shining in his eyes. He's got one eye open. I can picture he's got, <laughs> he's got a red vest on with gray slacks. We go to the bottom of it, and I really didn't know who it was. <laughs> <laughs> and my coach, my coach introduces me to Dr. Tom Osborne, the head coach, football coach of Nebraska. And I'm like, now I know who you are. <laughs> you know, I mean, back then you'd have to go to the library and pull up fish on articles to find out anything. There was no internet, oh, yeah. nothing except Thanksgiving 
or a bowl game where they were getting beat. For you young kids at home, that's microfish, yeah. the way we have to used to do term papers. Yeah, that was your research. <laughs> yes, right. that, was, that was the Google of the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we walked across campus, and here I am walking with a living legend, knowing who he is now, going to our portable, our football uh, office there, and we start to watch some film, and then he proceeds to tell me everybody that he's got from the state of Nebraska in that recruiting class coming up. The Rob Zaditzkas of the world, Corey Schlesinger's, the Zach Wiegert's, the Terry Keneally's, right? And so at the at the at that time, you know, even though Washington really wanted me, um, Nebraska really wanted Keith. They switched that, and Washington went after Keith. And it was weird. It was ironic. The only reason why Nebraska stopped recruiting Keith is because they had signed or verbally committed Terry Keneally, who was a D tackle out of, and that worked Amos. out pretty well. Yeah. And at the same time, Washington had a commit from a guard named Jeff Garcia, who played 12 years in the league. Yeah. Panthers, something like that. So we kind of switched, right? And um, after my visit with Coach Osborne, he convinced me to take a visit because I had two trips left. And he's like, if you don't take a visit to Nebraska, I think you'll regret not doing it because you don't know. You haven't seen it. It's totally different from anything you've seen convinced me with all their resources, their tradition, everything. And so I did. I ended up taking a trip that next week with my mom during a blizzard <laughs> and over in over 48 hours experienced um, the Lance Lewis's of the world, the uh, Steve Carmen, uh, Terry uh, Terrence Chorney. Those are kind of my guys. And then a guy named Chrissy Barra, who was from Fontana, yeah. who was you know, he was slated to be a great one for him. He ended up having a really bad knee injury that was nerve damage, and he had to quit. Yeah, I mean, he was around, but just after that injury. He yeah, never... he was done. So I go through the whole recruiting visit, and at the end of the visit, uh, simply what happens is you have a brunch. Um, you know, everybody gets together, all the recruits, whoever's handling, parents, what have you. And then you meet one-on-one with the head coach. And so I went and met one-on-one with Coach Osborne. And, of course, he grilled me on you know my experience, uh, what I thought of the facilities, uh, the people, the program, all of that. And at the end of the conversation, he said, you know, Brennan, we really, we really want you here. We have one offensive line slash D-line scholarship left. We want to give it to you. But if you leave here today and you don't decommit from Arizona State, and recommit to us, we're going to give it to somebody else. That's sales right there. That's negotiation. years old, my and first sales. And that was from that's Coach. pressure. That was from Coach. Here's a guy, and I give although him credit. I Although I will say this. Wow. He was pro- – that's probably 100% true. If he 100%. Did, he he had somebody else he was going to give it to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No doubt. And you I mean, know who he that wouldn't was? Li- he wouldn't lie to a Do you know crew, who that was? still that's – who? Take one guess. Who walked on? Our freshman year of the pipeline. Joel Wilkes? It was Joel. It was Joel Wilkes. You took your buddy's scholarship? I didn't take, I didn't take anything. <laughs> it was given to me. No, but they ended up, um, you know, I mean, obviously they ran out of scholarships, and Joel ended up getting a scholarship yeah. the next year. His, his first year was a walk-on year. Yeah. And then both. Even the, I mean, even then, though, because I think when we hit the door, it was still 100 and – or is it 95 or is it 105? It was 105. I thought it was 105 because it got dropped to 95. Mm-hmm. Now it's while, 85. Yeah, while we were there. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, yeah, that's, I mean, pretty much it. And it was so weird because 
I did this and it made the wire right back then. I mean, I still have, I don't know if you've kept anything from those guys. Did they ever send you like telegrams? Oh yeah. Remember uh, yeah. You know, the digital one that would print yeah, they, out? Like a have true it? telegram. Yeah. Like coming from yeah, Northwestern Union or whatever it yeah. was? Yeah. Really? Cell yeah. phones didn't exist. Freaking internet didn't exist. Nothing. Did a fax machine exist back then? Fax, oh, yeah. yeah, you had okay. fax machines. Yeah. Faxes were there. So let's go back though. I, I need to backtrack. You welded your own squat rack. Were you yeah. always a freak of nature back then? No, yes. I mean it was. <laughs> Dude, I saw you lift weights. You were like this "quote unquote" two hundred and what fifty-five pound true yeah. freshman, mm-hmm. and he would still go into the weight room. Oh yeah, and could outlift probably damn near anybody on the old line. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking the junior seniors. Now yeah. you were a freak. Did you guys have competitions in the weight room? I, th- yeah. I think the competition it was, was friendly. friendly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was there was always a pride thing, but oh, I mean, yeah. God, we always had fun with that. Shit. Oh yeah, it was oh, always yeah. who could come up with the most painful workout. Yeah. That I, I that. enjoyed watching Rob because I knew that whatever he was doing was scientific, <laughs> well beyond <laughs> his years. You know, of anybody in strength and conditioning, even Boyd Hepley. So everything that he did was calculated. And believe me, I mean, I used to actually, the great story about Rob when I first met him is um, I was uh, interested in physical therapy. And so Jerry Weber was kind of the guy to, yep. to He just retired, with. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, and so they were in the Shrine Bowl at the time at Memorial Stadium. And I came in like two weeks early. I stayed with George Darlington out on his farm and, um, you know, I was just trying to get settled in and I was visiting with Jerry Weber in the uh, training room. So I walk in and training room, as you walked in the door, there was a bunch of tables for uh, treatment and getting taped. And there was this giant man sitting there, two bags of ice with wires coming out of them, five o'clock shadow, flat top, look like a senior offensive lineman, like a Nebraska lineman should look like, right? And I'm like, oh shit. So I walk by him and I go and I talk to Jerry and, and I don't know, a couple minutes goes by and I hear this. Brendan. <laughs> and I turn around and there's Rob. And he's like, I'm Rob Zadichka. How are you? And the only thing I remember about Rob at the time, I knew Rob Zadichka name, yeah. but the only picture I ever saw of him was this like nerd little bubble picture in the what was the magazine? God, that was we it used Super Prep? Super Prep. Super that Prep. Yeah. So uh-huh. here's Rob. I mean, Rob at the time, you were 290. Probably yeah, 285. But, yeah, so this would have been, what, like August before our freshman year? You guys year. were prepping for the Shrine Bowl. Yeah. You were 290 yeah. already as a freshman? Yeah. He was He was a large man. Yep. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Damn. Damn, damn. So that that you know that whole experience for me was, it, it happened fast. And really, the only reason why I'm at Nebraska is because, obviously, I'll give George Darlington credit, but the closer was Coach Osborne coming to my high school. And convincing me to take a trip. How hard was it to make the phone call to Arizona State? I was going to say, that was my question. You got to give Larry Marmy a call. That didn't happen. What happened was it hit the wire. (gasps) And then, so the O-line coach calls my house. And my mom answers. And he's motherfucking my mom. (laughs) Up and down. Which was way out of line. Right? So my mom ended up calling the AD. Well... Long story short, that whole entire staff got fired that next year. Really? Oh, yeah. Who that was wasn't it? because of me. No. Yeah, but who was the old line coach there at the time? Do you remember? I can't remember. He owned a bar there. Man, everything seemed so great. 
like, you know, the system that they ran. I'd be able to hang out at the bar. You remember, I had my brother's three years older than me. Yeah, Heath. So I had... I had a fake ID right out the gate, <laughs> which by I was the way, 21 going into college. Wow. Which, yeah, by the we look alike and sound alike. Yeah, yeah it, it, it that that's an easy one yeah. right there. Like my older brother, yeah, yeah that ID would not. Well, work. you know what? I went to the our first bowl game, which was in Orlando. Yeah. I had my mom FedEx me my brother's license so Zach and I could go out. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So you could do that because that, that that actually happened. Like when I went to, I didn't go to Nebraska. I went to Grandview, but I remember. Back then, I could just take in my brother's birth certificate. They didn't ask for anything. It'd be like, uh, here it is. Oh, dude, I got a fake ID. Thank you. Hey, when I got to Nebraska, this is the trip. So being in California, I had a driver's license for a motorcycle okay. and a, a normal driver's license. And it was like serious testing, right? I get to Nebraska. And first and foremost, <laughs> if you were out of state, you had to register to vote and you had to get a license. Well, there was probably, what, five or six of us that Coach Osborne got in front of the whole team and said, now, if you guys don't get this done before we go for our bowl trip, you're not going to be able to go. It saves them money, right? Out of state to in-state. So I go and I take this test, dude, and it's Polaroid pictures. Like, literally Polaroid pictures that you would look at and flip through and then answer on the sheet over here. (laughs) Everything with the DMV where I came from was Scantron. Everything was on a computer. Polaroid pictures. Well... So well, we don't, hey, we didn't have Apple. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't have Bill Gates and Steve Jobs whip, whipping stuff up in right. their garages here so. in Nebraska. That was a California thing. Yeah. So you come from Orange County. That that Let's means see. you come. Uh, you come. That means you're just loaded, right? You're loaded. You're loaded with what? Money. Bullshit. You, 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 huh? <laughs> no, hell no. No, I came from really nothing. My mom and dad. Um, you know, they got by. My mom and dad got divorced when I was about 11, so it was really hard on my mom. So did your mom stay in Arizona or she go to California? So when, so they met in Minnesota, got married in Minnesota, moved to Arizona. My dad was in banking. And then my dad split from my mom when I was like one. And then ended up going to Southern California and called her and said, I made a mistake. Come and live with me in Southern California. So we moved to Huntington Beach. And we were there for about a year and a half, and then we moved inland to a brand new neighborhood in a very old agriculture, orange grove, if you will, ag, uh, Yorba Linda. And that's where I lived for roughly, what, 12 years, uh, 13 years, right? So that was my existence, and then boom, I go to Nebraska. Back back up. Your your dad called and said I made a mistake. Yeah. Your mom moved back. Mm Mm-hmm. Did and then, and then, and then, when I was eleven, he left her again. Yeah. Wow. So how how does how do you deal with that? It was tough. I mean, especially at that age, you know, you're going through a lot as a young individual, and um, you know, God bless my mom. She she did everything she could. She was in the uh, medical field. Um, they made medical devices, actually um, heart valves. So she worked okay. for a company and um, was uh, a part of their whole marketing of the heart valve. Uh, matter of fact, the company she worked for made a heart valve for John Wayne. Anyhow, so she did everything she could. And back then it wasn't as expensive as it is now, cost of living in Orange County. Um, but it was meager. I mean, we almost moved in towards Huntington Beach in a very low uh, socioeconomic area um, because she couldn't afford to stay in Yorba Linda. Thankfully, she had some friends that kept me in that high school that would give me an opportunity. And to be honest with you, I didn't, I didn't really dream about getting a scholarship until I was in 10th grade where my high school coach said, you know, you, you got some, some ability here and you might want to think about 
you know, planning for the future, taking all the appropriate classes to be eligible to go to college. And so with that being said, you know, my high school years were um, interesting. Um, There was a lot of uh, situations that I could have went down the wrong path, but because of sports, it kept me on the straight and narrow. Grew up in a very hard neighborhood. Um, A lot of Mexicans uh, in my high school. Uh, We had, I think, two black people at our high school, and it was Mexicans and whites. And so um, I was fortunate because I was in a structure, and my mom did everything she could to keep me in that structure. Um, You know, I was... I was born Catholic, raised Catholic. When my my dad left my mom, the Catholic Church told my mom she couldn't come back. See, I don't get that. And I, I'm Catholic too, right? right. And, and I, I just, I want to go, stop it. You, you're losing so many people because of the stupidness, right? right. Yeah. Why do you hate the Catholic Church, I don't Travis. hate the Catholic Church. Right. I don't. Hates I sent all my kids Church. to Catholic high school. Right. You know? So do you have a relationship with your dad today? My dad passed away okay, four years ago. Thank you very much. Um, always had. He never left me. Some guys completely vacate. He pulled me aside when it happened. He just, he loved my mom, but he wasn't in love with her. And, you know, the industry that he was in, he, he, was, he was in banking, and then he went into sales for Xerox, right? So he was in sales for a while, and then all of a sudden he found a job um, in the bartending industry. And so now he was really good at what he did. Uh, he was number one bartender in Orange County like three years, you know. Newport 17. That's an interesting career route, by the way. Right. No, he lived on the opposite end of the clock, right? And so he was around a lot of things that happened at that late at night. So, so, I mean, legit question, like like cocktail, like Tom Cruise, like that kind of bartending. Kind of, sort of. I mean, um, not necessarily that tropical kind of fantasy type of flipping bottles around and everything else, but he actually... You know, he he would manage the entire restaurant, gotcha, and then run the bar as well. And it was a very high end restaurant okay. bar, if you will, at night. Um, yeah, so I mean, it was, and it's still there today. And then he kind of bopped around in a couple different restaurants. Pistango was another big one down there. It was a a really successful Italian restaurant, and then got into another one called Portofino. Uh, had some ownership in that, and that was in La Habra. But you know, it, my upbringing was was interesting because as soon as my dad left the picture, there was no real fist, no hammer, right? No father figure. No father figure. No man. So my mom ended up, like, here she is raising two young men. My brother's three years older than me. Basically having to figure out how to be our friend and not our mom because, I mean, she'd tell us to do something. Be like, really? You know? So there was that. I mean, without structure, my brother was really good at, at kind of toning me down. And he kept me on the straight and narrow. But uh, for a while there, I mean, it could have went completely south. I mean, I was in a lot of different situations where, you know, I'm lucky to be here. Let's just put it that way. Because I remember when we were in college, your mom had a presence. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking about somebody who's living in California. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting how you get to know certain teammates, family members. Mm -hmm. Your mom was somebody everybody on the whole line knew. Everybody oh, yeah. knew mama stopped. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Red. We called her Red. Big Red. Yeah. She's overweight. You know, uh, red hair. Um, struggled with her weight. Her whole... Are you sending? Nice. <laughs> My wife doesn't know. <laughs> 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 um, Thank God Anjanette doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> so, 
You know, I mean, as far as uh, the opportunities, um, they were meager as far as finances are concerned. I never owned a car. Not even in college. I, I rode a bike. My we were talking about yeah. this. Hold on. Yeah. You're like at Green Bay Packers at, at the training camp where you're riding a bike everywhere? Everywhere. Uh, even with a broken, dislocated ankle. Dude, you know? dead of winter. Yep. Watching, you you would come like plowing through eight inches of snow yep. on your bike. <laughs> yep. Well, everybody knew I had a bike because I'd walk into the training table or wherever we were, the backside of my shirt would just be mud. You know, you know, if you go to the players' lot now, it's all like BMWs and Tahoes and oh, yeah. Suburban. It For is. Sure. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. It is. It's like it's looking, a different world, my yeah. friend. So you would have loved NIL when you were in when you were in college. Absolutely. We dipped into it a little bit right at the end when we were eligible to do it. Um, yeah. We got into the phone card and some T-shirts yeah. and, and signing was, autographs. But, I mean, that was something that I think a lot of it came about because of the, the national, national championship. championship. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, if it wasn't for that, I mean, I, I think we would have seen little bits and pieces of it, yeah. but it wouldn't have been like it truly was for us. Tell the there story was, of the gift package that, that you remember Brendan getting. So this is, so is kind of like one of these, like, I, I always have, like, like seminal images and memories of people and times and did it have anything to do with skittles was it a care package from my mom yeah oh yeah oh we love the care packages from dude well one she'd send yeah there'd be food in there too that was i forgot about the food but i remember what like she sent this it was this giant it was big old cardboard box that was it gets delivered to the locker room and I mean, you were like ecstatic. Oh. Like this is going to be the greatest gift <laughs> of all fucking time. No doubt. What did I have in there? <laughs> and and I remember you ripped up, and we're all sitting like, "What is it, dude? Is it going to be a what video game system and a TV? What is it? This is going to be freaking <laughs> awesome." Comes in, and Blankets. it's like, it was like three pairs of jeans, yep. a bl- including a black pair of jeans, yep. a dress shirt, a tie. Like a yeah. couple of packages of socks, and then I forgot about the Skittles. Skittles, shit ton of snack food. Oh yeah, big time. And I peanut don't, butter uh, pretzels. You bet. And I remember like whole lines in there, hmm. and I remember like that might have been the single happiest any of us had seen you. And it's not like you weren't a happy guy. Like I was looking at you, like you were this guy that was incredibly grounded in my mind, Mm -hmm. but I remember you opening up and you were like, Oh my God, I fucking love my mom so much. And we're seeing it was like yeah, it's jean socks and Skittles. dude. (laughs) Remember. Um, And then then, a hundred dollars a month. Hundred, one hundred. The key thing is, is that, I mean, Everybody on the O-line, like I said, I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. And I mean, it's like we were a good, solid, middle-class family. Parents were both in education. Mom was a teacher. Dad's a university administrator. But I mean, and it's every Lincoln. weekend. Yeah. Cost of living is... It's nothing. Yeah. But every, I mean, every Sunday, what are you going to do? I want to go to my parents' house and eat a whole Have bunch dinner. of free food. Mm-hmm. Easy. Zach, you know what? If I want to buzz back up to Fremont, I'll see the folks up there. I mean, Whatever. It's um, yeah, when you're in state, it's, it's, it's a lot so easier. easy. And I just remember how happy you were. And I remember like kind of this collective realization on the O line, 
looking at you, how happy you were in that moment. And we're like, yeah, here's a guy who gets it. Appreciates, you know. hundred percent. But see, that's a classic example of you go out and play in front of 70,000 people. They have no idea what's going on in your personal life. Right. They don't, they, they think, oh, you, you, you're this all American and, and life's great, but you're riding a fucking bicycle and happy to get a pair of jeans. That's right. Yeah. But I mean, I think times are a little, I shouldn't say a lot. A li- they're a lot different. <laughs> they're now. a lot. Different. They're a lot, a lot different, different now, but I mean, for the, I mean, for the majority of the history of college football, that was the reality. Well, you, you know what NIL stands for? Name image likeness. No, no, now it's legal. <laughs> So, no, seriously, I mean, there were other stories in college football, not at Nebraska. Well, like Johnny Manziel just said, he goes, uh, did you watch the Johnny Manziel in the Club Shay Shay um, podcast? He's bagging on his coach from Texas A&M. Well, but but he also talked about, listen, there was a bag man at Alabama. He goes, goes, there's a bag man everywhere. Big time. I I mean, I'm sure you guys We didn't have a bag man. You didn't have a bag man? Not that I knew of, no, no. Now, I had heard some things that had happened, you know, in the 70s and 80s, but rumors. Um, I will tell you this, when I got to Pittsburgh and was playing for the Steelers, they had a guy named Leon Searcy. He told me flat out, he took took a pay cut coming to the pros from Miami. Yep. And matter of fact, the, uh, I want to say it was the FBI came to interview him about his nefarious financial backers, if you will. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, there was the most I ever got maybe at Nebraska was a $20 handshake of, you know, maybe that was it. $20. And believe me, when that happened, that was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> but I was scared to death. Yeah. I was like, because Coach Osborne was always like, you can't accept any gifts. Can't. He, which I, I will say, I mean, I'm sure there was stuff that happened that I didn't see. But I, I mean, I think Osborne legitimately tried as hard as he could to run a clean ship. I exactly. really do. Think and when he, he if he knew of something, it was not happening anymore. And, yeah. they, and that's like you didn't want to let your dad down. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, but I mean, I think Osborne had enough connections that if if it was coming from a booster, a local business, somebody like that, he would go talk to them and say like, "Hey, knock it off. Knock it off." Yeah. Yep. Do you like NIL now? I mean, as a former player, I mean, do you ha- are you mixed about it? Or are you like, it's finally happening. Right? I I like the idea of athletes um, making money on their name, image, and likeness. What I don't like is the structure. I think it's unsustainable. I, I don't think that uh, uh, the environment that we are in now um, is going to be around. Um, it might last a little bit longer, uh, but I believe uh, we're heading in a direction. Uh, where it's going to be institutionalized with a third party involved. Um, NIL is not going to go away. It's an agency, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, these collectives, uh, what will probably happen is they'll still exist, um, but it'll be, this is a grander kind of example, but if you think about Michael Jordan and his tenure with the Bulls, he had a paragraph five. He made X amount of dollars contract-wise. He made thousand times more than that on his name, image, and likeness with businesses outside yep. of that. So you'll have an opportunity of these collective agencies <clears throat> that provide an opportunity to make a little bit more money. And maybe there's there's money there that is uh, for guys that don't make a whole lot with the system institutionally. Um, but, the, you know, NIL, as it sits right now, is a great opportunity for athletes uh, to, number one, make money, number two, educate themselves, um, surround themselves with like-kinded minds, um, 
you know, and, and really the financial literacy, the entrepreneurship, um, the idea of, uh, while you're going to college, learning about it, where, what I don't like is when, uh, there's no guardrails on it and these kids aren't being protected. And I'm, it doesn't happen in my belief, uh, at Nebraska, I think 1890 does a really good job, but there are nefarious characters out there, oh, yeah. um, throughout the country that are making money off of these kids. And a lot of these kids don't even know how to open up a bank account, right? Um, let alone, you know, how to file for taxes. And they get into trouble. And some of these collectives run out of money. Remember, these these are collectives that in perpetuity it has to keep happening, right? Every month there's withdrawals from that account. There has to be deposits every single month. And so there's a lot of false promises out there. Um, and then you put... Uh, the portal into that picture, right? There's this, the grass is greener. There's more opportunity. And think about over 3000 kids get put into a portal with the idea that a team is going to spend the time, energy, and money to re-recruit a kid. Um, You're in the portal for a reason, right? Unless, unless you're the top 5% of the kids in that portal where there's real opportunity and there's money out there for you to go get, they're being sold a, a, a bogus bag of goods. And most of them don't end up on teams. So I think there's good and there's bad to it. Um, I think that it's definitely not sustainable. Um, but the opportunity um, for student athletes now to, you know, if they're in the right structure, put themselves in a situation to where it's kind of like when we first got in the league, we had opportunities to be vested, right? After, well, it was our first year, it was still five, and then it went to three. But you had your 401K. As long as you made a 53-man roster, one game, you got a vested year. You're not spending that money. It's money that you won't miss. You put it away. In 25 to 30 years, that money's going to be exponentially more, right? So you're going to have an opportunity to invest in yourself. If you put a kid in a situation, if they did it the right way, right off the get-go, uh, you put together some sort of trust, and there was a, a, a vested interest there, um, skin in the game for the student athlete, number one, your grades, right? You're showing up. You're doing everything you're supposed to do, right? Number two, Right. In order for you to get any of that money, you have to actually step out on the field and play. Otherwise, that money gets put into this trust and you're watching it and you're learning about it growing. By the time you're done, now you got a nice little nest egg. If you need it to start your life, so be it. If not, keep it in there and let it grow for 15 to 20 to 25 years. Right. The compounding interest alone. I mean, I don't know about you, but. I mean, shoot, my 401k, which went from a dollar for dollar up to the ERISA max when I first got in, went to two to one after my third year, right? Fully vested on that. I mean, think about the compound yeah. interest there. Fully vested at the ERISA max. I mean, it's it's a no-brainer. So I think it's a great opportunity for these kids now to learn about money, how money works. Also, put them in a situation where you, know, you have um, the vested uh, – Part of this is the education piece and offering classes to teach about entrepreneurship, to teach about financial literacy, teach about, teach about taxes, how to open up a bank account. I mean, some of these kids have no clue, right? So with all that, there's that vested as well. That little nest egg, what the money that they're getting, you know, they're going to have all this knowledge, this education as by the time they're done, nine times out of 10, these kids don't make it in the pros, Right. And if they do, it's nine point nine percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah, exactly. So it's a you know, if you do get the opportunity, you know, to have longevity there is still the average, I think, tenure of a NFL player is like less than three years. It's like two point seven yeah. years or something like that. You know, so again, make it while you can, 
but doing it in a way that is, um, you know, it's responsible to the student athlete. Uh, you're looking out for their best interest, putting them in positions to where they're setting themselves up for their future and not solely thinking about, I need to go, you know, spend this money right now, right? I need to invest this money. I need to focus on getting a great education. That's hard to do for a 19-year-old, you know, because I, I, hell, I'm 53 and I want to spend money. I know, <laughs> I know. And there's the education piece of it, right? Yeah. It's, you know, putting some of that money aside and putting a majority of that money aside and, and, and really investing in your future or your family. Yeah. The other thing I like about NIL is if you think about – um, and I and I love the pitch from 1890 right now, and it's it's a it's a good one because think about most of the players where they come from. Think about my situation; I didn't have any money, right? If I could, think about how much I love my mom. What he was talking about: if I had the opportunity to help my mom and put her in a better situation, have her fly out every weekend to watch when we're at home, um, you know, making a car payment, making a house payment, those type of things. I think that there's a lot of greatness that is in that with NIL. How much did your mom get to watch you play when you were when you were at Nebraska? Well, I only played for two years, and half of one of those years, I broke my leg and dislocated my ankle. Right, so she came to every home game that we were there. Um, uh, I can't. So she didn't. Yeah, she went. No, she didn't even go to the national championship game. She wasn't there. My dad really? was there. Yeah, my dad came. She couldn't afford it. No way. Mm-mm. Wow. So the see, there's a case where I think the school should be able to help parents in a situation right. like that, right? Or, or in this situation, nil. Right? Yeah. The kid has the the resource to put his parents, his family, his brother, his sisters, cousins, his uncles, whoever he wants, in a position to where, you know what, I'm gonna. You guys gave me everything. I'm here because of you. Now I want to give back. That's the I think the the really special thing about nil and what it provides. Wow. I. I, I can't believe your mom wasn't at the national chain. That, that almost breaks my, my heart. Was, my dad actually drove uh, cross country to be there. Yep, a bicycle. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tricycle. Uh, uh. When did you guys? This is for both of you. When you guys both show up as freshmen, did you know you were something special at that point? And two part question: Did you know you're something special? And the truth is, I think I've been around college football a long time now, a good portion of my career. I don't know if there's ever been a better offensive line. I know people are going to – and you know me, Rob. I'm an Iowa fan, but I, I was there to cover you guys. There's never been a better line, has there? I, you know, it was a unique situation where you had – I mean, Rob actually was the first one to get an opportunity to play. He was the first one out the game. I didn't – you never told me that. Yeah. You, he was the first, first one first, to get on the, first, full, on the field out of all five of us. I am the first – Nebraska football player in history to play as a play as a freshman to start a game as a freshman. I did not know that. That was a redshirt redshirt freshman. freshman. Okay, and, and it was the, one game. <laughs> but one game. Here's the other unique thing about what we did. So Rob, myself, Ed Stewart, Zach Wiegert, Terry Keneally. That's it. Our freshman year, they still had the freshman team. Oh, Dante. Dante redshirted Dante. Too. So we he had six guys, class. right? So six guys that did not play freshman ball. It was the last year of the freshman It was the last team. one. Even though, was it Kuchera? What was his name? He wanted us to practice and yeah. do all sorts of other stuff with him. So what was interesting was if you played freshman football, the next year you redshirted. And then you had three years to compete. Rob and... Those five other guys. Yeah, the freshman team, myself. that was a year of eligibility. Right? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. So you played freshman ball. You're playing games. That burns a year Even though you're playing year. Ellsworth Community College? Right. Yeah. Air Force. 
Junior varsity. Snow. Mm-hmm. I did not know Coffee that was year Bill. of So we collectively, you know, I mean, outside of Joel, you know, we we got a head start on everybody. And so we kind of, we knew, and think about this, we had to practice against the number one defense in the country at that time. The Pat Tyrants of the world. Kenny the Walker. Kenny Walker's Mike Kroll. Kroll. Mike Pecco. I mean, he was a badass linebacker, kind of wild, California guy. He's coming back, actually, uh, mid-March. He's gonna Is he get, really? He's going to get involved with the program. I yeah. always liked Mike. Yeah, yeah, he's going he's gonna to help us. Got yeah. drafted by the Patriots. Yeah, he's doing, he's, he's doing a lot of great things out in western Nebraska. So he and his son both are coming. Um, but, yeah, so that opportunity to go against the number one defense in the country, sharpen our swords against something like that, uh, gave us, again, an, another advantage of having an opportunity to develop a little bit quicker, if you will, than those guys that didn't get a chance to redshirt their, because they were playing freshman ball. So the uniqueness, I think there was a lot of great talent. It kind of changed the model of how they did that. Now, again, the freshman team went away because of restrictions on coaching numbers at the time. Right. But it, it kind of changed the model on how people did it. I mean, all of a sudden, that first-year redshirt became a thing. Yeah. No, it was, oh. it was. So, again, you ask, did you guys know? I think the realization of we, we had something potentially, um, not only just as an offensive line, but as a team, probably was going into our junior year. And I think we had all the makings. Um, Probably missing a couple different things, um, maybe scheme-wise, um, maybe getting over a hump in one game. <clears throat> but that whole 93 season, we go and we lose wide left to Florida State. Then we knew. We knew we had something. We knew we beat Florida State. We got bogus calls on a block in the back on a punt return, Corey Dixon. Uh, William Floyd fumbles on the goal line. Should have been a fumble. And then we had a, a mishap happen in our kicking game right at the end of the game when we were up with a minute 16 left. If you remember this, Byron Bennett just kicked an a, a extra point to take the lead. He's excited as all get out, jumping up and down on the sideline. We had a two-kicker uh, combination scenario going on with our football team. Tommy Sealer would kick uh, short ones. Byron would kick long ones. And then they would go back and forth depending on who had the kick to kick it off for the next play. So Coach Young had Byron Bennett go out after he's all psyched up, jumping up and down. Boom, he gets out there, kicks it off, and kicks it out of bounds. Florida State gets it on the 45. Charlie Ward single-handedly goes down the field. And that was the game. Yep. We had one more shot with one second. Yeah. But, you know, if you go back, I mean, there's so many things that happened in that game. We knew, I'll never forget, sitting on that bus, going back to the hotel, looking at Mark Gilman, and just going, we should have won that game. We're coming back. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind we have something special here. And truly, I mean, we had kind of a good mix that year, too, of offensive line. We had Kenny Malin. We had Lance Lumberg, Rob, myself, Zach. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Joel played a little bit, I believe. I, so Joel, actually, so I was the backup. To, I was the, not even the – I'm not sure backup's the right word. Rotate. I was the swing guy at tackle. Yeah. I was the quote unquote starting left guard, but I was the guy who gave Lance and Zach like breaks at tackle. So I'd go in. That's right. Play a series or two at left guard. Then I'd go to left tackle for a series or two, right tackle for a series or two. I'd go take a breather, come in, hit the repeat button. Yep. 
Joel Wilkes played more snaps at left guard that year than I did. See, I didn't. I didn't realize. Yeah, that. he he was essentially the starting left guard. I was. Well, what happened yeah. was though. So I mean, I I might have started the game, but per you remember, se, but yeah, Joel had more snaps at left guard than I did. You got you your name on Husker Vision. But you know why that happened, Rob? Do you remember what happened versus Missouri? Well, yeah, there was a couple of bang ups there. So no. earlier in that year, we played Missouri. <clears throat> we were up by four touchdowns on them, maybe in the first half. And I was at the bottom of the pile. And this junior or senior year? Junior, junior okay. Yeah. And Rob was the right tackle. I was the starting right guard. I'm under the pile on the goal line, and I'm not shitting you. It felt like my, my foot was kind of jammed into the ground like this. It felt like somebody took my foot slow like this and just turned it. And, and he heard it. He heard me screaming. I remember Rob specifically looking up and Rob's <laughs> pulling guys off. Get off of them. I get up and I remember my ankle flipping back in. And I'm like, oh. man, I just sprained my ankle pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I literally walked off the field. I remember walking by Coach Osborne. He's like, you okay? And I said, I sprained my ankle pretty good. Went over the sideline. The story's been told. Aaron likes to tell it. But I'm sitting there and George, uh, George Sullivan, our old trainer, He's got the hat with the yep. smelling salts on it and his glasses like this and his big old gut out like this. And what'd you do? I'm like, oh man, I hurt my ankle pretty good. So he takes my shoe off, takes my sock off, and that hole that sits at your ankle when they tape, yep. the hole was all the way in the front, right? So my, my ankle was this and the hole was like sitting like that. Oh. And, and his glasses went like this. And here's a guy that invented Gatorade. He'd never seen that before, right? And at that point, Aaron Graham walks over. You're all right. Slaps my ankle. Oh, <laughs> oh God, I remember Jen. that. <laughs> so, so then George cuts the tape off. And, of course, there's nothing holding my ankle together. It just, my foot goes one way. My, my ankle stays just like that. Oh. So it dislocated it. And then I broke. So when that happens. Not a compound, though. No. Didn't pop the skin. That, that tape saved, saved it. it. Yeah, yeah. The tape saved it. So, you know, you break the ankle. Or, uh, I dislocated the ankle and I broke my fibula and I should have blown my knee. Cause that's usually the process ankle, fibula, knee. And you know, so broke the fibula and it was right in front of the Colorado game. Right. And at the same game, it was re really weird to John Peterson was really, yeah. his son plays tight end for UCLA. Right yep. John Peterson, big like, old center a, out of grand Island, yeah, a quarter later does the same thing, but he's it, in the middle of the field and it stayed out. Like, they had to come back and pop it back oh, in a yeah. place. Oh. So John and I are in the hospital room. We both had surgery the same day. We're, like, in the same hospital room with the same exact injury. His was a little worse, and he never was able to come back from it, I think, because, I don't know, he dislocated and, and messed some nerves up or something in his ankle. But, yeah, it was a weird deal, and I'll never forget. The first guy that came to the room was Trev. I woke up and Trev was standing there. He was a great captain, great leader back then. But, you know, so now you're looking at Colorado all the way to the end, right? And they went on this run. And that's when the line had to shuffle up. Our offensive yardage, I will claim this, our offensive yardage decreased by 25%, which was insane. That's but it, significant. It was significant, you know, in the running game in particular. That's all we did was run the ball, you know. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, and I didn't come back until the first day down at the bowl game. So I was in the pool every day, riding my bike, going through rehab, you know, in the winter, slipping and falling with a broken, dislocated ankle and a broken leg in the ice, you know, at, on campus. We get down to 
um, the bowl game, the first practice we had was my first day back. And Coach Tenerper looked at me and says, you ready? I said, sure. So we go one-on-ones. And right out the gates, I think it was Pesterfield, I went one-on-ones and I just lifted him up and put him on his back. And I remember Christian yelling, he's back! (laughs) (laughs) So, but because of that injury, honestly, there was shuffle. Yeah, There was shuffle. Honestly, though, like there's no way you you should have come back from that in a in a season, seven weeks. So this, I mean, for the medical peeps who listen to this, it, it was a Liz Frank fracture. Mm-hmm. You Co- know, nobody knows what the hell a Liz. Frank so it's called right? well, Spi- it's te- spiral. It's a spiral. Te- yeah, okay. te- technically, thank be, you. You got technically it. would be a leaf. <laughs> the technical pronunciation it's a leaf Frank <laughs> fracture <laughs> coupled with a. A distal fibular fracture See, as well. It's a spiral, right? The only reason yeah. I know spiral because uh, well, I'll never forget this. Greta, my 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 youngest daughter. Well, it's more than a spiral. Even it's it's a spiral plus more stuff. Yeah, you know, I dislocated the ankle, and then yeah. as it dislocates oh. that fibula, yeah, it does one of those. So it so it's so I had I had a plate and nine screws with a repaired ankle, and you played yeah. played. You're like Aaron Rodgers coming back from an Achilles after. Except like he did seven weeks. Yeah, this was not even two months later. So it's, Crazy. I mean, it's still one of the things. It's like this is one of the toughest things I've ever seen somebody do. Was you doing that? But it's um, the uh, nobody so, really ever talks about it either. Yeah, Lee Lee Frank is the. <laughs> you want credit for that, yeah. don't you? Yeah. <laughs> so okay, I got to go nerd on you here. So uh, Lee Frank or Liz stop Frank? It. Whatever it is. He was a he was a surgeon in the Napoleonic armies. Oh great. Jesus. Have you seen Napoleon the movie? Now, don't spoil oh, it. I haven't great. watched it yet. So anyway, he was a surgeon in the Napoleonic armies who described this injury and it's the type of injury when you get as a cavalry rider when you get unhorsed. Unhorsed. Unhorsed <laughs> and you come over but one foot stays Days. in the stirrup oh, and it and it dislocates and fractures the foot and ankle. There you go. And his prescription for it, because at the time in the death in eighteen oh seven or whatever it was, glue, no, amputation. Oh Jesus! <laughs> that was the treatment for that type of fracture because there was no way to fix it. Then they were just all right. This is amputate, what I love. Here's Dude, your back peg in the day at the training table. I would sit there and listen to Rob at the training table, like. Oh my god! I'd always ask this Rob, guy's gonna like cure cancer. Well, it's funny because I always ask Rob, "Did you roid?" He's like, "I knew science. I knew science. <laughs> I knew science. I knew protein." <laughs> the, okay, the best part. So you mentioned Terrace Chorney earlier. So Terrace, Dabbins. so he was a, he was a, he was a Canuck, uh, big old center on the team from uh, Saskatchewan. Yeah, from Sus- Southern Saskatchewan. So what was it? He, he was uh, from Ituna. Uh, yeah, and played prep school ball in Regina. <laughs> I love it. Those are towns in Canada. It's Regina, Ca- Regina, Regina, Ituna and Regina. <laughs> Ituna. Towns. Can I Ituna Regina. your Regina? <laughs> towns in Canada. It's Canada. You can dude. definitely you find Ituna in the Regina. <laughs> so I'm just saying, it's Canada. What do you expect? <laughs> anyway, um, Terrence and I, we would. S- Dude. We would sit down in the training room and watch Jeopardy. 
Oh, oh this and is then funny. They, and then they would repeat this exact same episode the following half hour. So Terrence and I would watch it in the training room, and then Terrence and I would go up to Milt Teniper's office with the Holo line, and for the next half hour, we'd all watch Jeopardy together. And Terrence and I are like barking all out the answers. The, like, like all the answers, what? like you left and right. Like, you guys are freaking geniuses. <laughs> Which Terrence, actually, the guy was an engineering major. Oh, he's, yeah. he's had a career. Really smart. He has, and he's had literally this yeah, 30-year career as an engineer in Canada running running petrol. Wow. So... No, but anyway, we digress. In, yeah, oh, anyway, that's what we so, do here. By the, that, there, there are no rules on this but podcast. That, but that injury... Yeah, it was significant, man. And to I do even, that I even less suffered. than... To do that less than two months later is... It was insane. That is freaking insane. And I remember... So the thing that was funny about it, do you remember then Steve Ott... Uh, did it Mar senior year? Yeah, versus K State. So he does it the next year, and I remember Steve does it, and it's again basically the same injury. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, in hindsight, I kind of feel bad because when it happened with Steve, we're all sitting there going like, "Well, you're gonna be ready for the national title game, aren't you? I mean, we need you, dude." Yeah. And he's like, "My ankle is broken," and and we're like. Did, did it. Didn't stop Sty. <laughs> it's like, what, the, we're just like what, what the hell, dude? You stop. Pussy. Pussy. They just put some plates and screws in there. He was fine. Let's go. It's like, Rub he, dirt on it, as George it, Sullivan would it say. It was. He seemed perfectly okay. Were you determined to do that? Was it one of well, those things where. Again, mm. Coach Osborne, right? So I had this business writing class. And Wait, how did we go from a broken ankle? Yeah. To a business writing I'll, I'll class. tell you why. So okay. the, the teacher in this class, um, she she couldn't stand athletes, right? Really? Yeah. And I You mean help I, pay your salary because the right. athletic department makes I know, money. Exactly, right? Probably the to, smartest students you had. But. Right, exactly. So, you know, it was a great class, um, but I didn't enjoy her. She didn't enjoy me. And it was the one class, remember, I didn't have a car. I lived with two roommates. Mark had a truck. Tommy had a truck and they both had to use it. They couldn't like take the time out every day to take me to class. So here I am in a boot after I had a cast on it for three weeks, I'm in a boot and I'm going to class and it's just getting to be winter. I'm riding my mountain bike in ice across campus and you know how slippery that shit is. So I'm like, screw it. I'm not going to go to this class. I can't stand her. From 12th and G to campus. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm walking from our locker room to go to the training table. Um, I got the boot on, and Coach Osborne's coming over, and this is South Stadium, right? So he's going to his office. I'm going to the training table in the West. And he stops me, and you know, he's like, hey, Brennan, I heard things are going really good with your, with your treatment coming along ahead of what anybody thought. And he goes, here's the thing. If we stay on this run and we don't lose, we're going to have a chance to play in the national championship. And he goes, Dennis is telling me that you're not passing a class because you're not going. And this is business writing class. He goes, I really want you to think about this because if you're not eligible to play, you can't play in the game and you're ready to go. Because the semester's over at that time. That's right. So if I had kept doing what I was doing at the time, I wouldn't have been eligible to play in that game. So I'm like, you know, it just takes one or two comments, a pat on the back, a a bolt of energy. I'm like, I'm going to do this. So I ended up going, actually licking my wounds with her, and I ended up getting a C minus in the class, 
right? And I retook the class because I wanted a better experience. It was a great class, but I was eligible and he was right on. He was spot on like he always was, always was. And, and he brought levity to it. You know, he made sense of it. He wasn't forcing me. But he was nudging me and saying, you know, you know, you're not it's just not gonna ruin he your was college career. That. But think about it, right? If if you have the ability to come back and you're not eligible, you're gonna be kicking yourself in the ass for not doing it. So because of him, that motivated me even more. I was in that swimming pool. I'd watch these guys walk over to the cook and they're waving at me. And I'm in the swimming pool with a weighted vest with Doke Ostergaard getting my conditioning in, you know, non-weight bearing in the water. Like, I mean, every day, you guys remember doing walking by me. Because when you're injured, you're probably away from the team. I mean, when so you get injured, you're cancer, dude. Yeah. You're literally, you feel like people don't want to talk to you, look at you, touch you, be around you because, oh, Jesus, I can't, you know. If he's hurt, if I interact with him, I might get hurt. That's how you feel. Which it's it's a weird dynamic on sports teams because it's, Although you guys didn't do that to me, you were supportive yeah, the whole time. I mean, but that's how you the, feel the, the, inside. The problem, yeah. Well, and part of it is too is that it's it's like there's kind of this we love you, but there's all these other goals over here. Yeah, we got to keep we got to keep going. We, we got to keep working on this shit. Keep doing what you're doing. We love you. Get your ass Get back. back to us as soon yeah. as we can. As wow. soon as you can. Yeah. And it's kind of weird because when when high level athletes get injured, some guys, you, you see, some guys, for lack of a better phrase, they kind of embrace the injury mm-hmm. and the treatment, the rehab. You have to. You the, go into well, this different well, environment. Yeah, you get but depressed I mean, at all, or well, were you just hold on, hold on? Well, when it happened, some guys, my mom and dad were at the game. I looked up, and I had dreams. I wanted to play in the pros, and at that point. I was like in the zone, if you can imagine an offensive lineman being in the zone. I was playing at a high level. You were playing good that year. Because I was at the other guard spot, and I was like, I'm going to get so many more pancakes than Brendan. No. Fuck, I'm not getting any more pancakes than Brendan. But, you know, in a zone, right, up to that point. And I remember thinking, I'm sitting on the sideline. And the night before, I had so much great luck. My brother was in town, too. So my whole family was there. I won. For that Missouri game. Yeah, you know the little punch cards at the gas station? Yeah. I won like $125 on a punch card, all plums. I'll never forget it. So you doubled your salary in, like, in a punch oh, yeah. card. <laughs> I look at my brother. I'm like, dude, we're going to win. We're going to kick ass. I'm going to have a great game. Boom. It's going to be great. Next day, crushed. I look up in the – I never forget. I look up in the stands. My mom, you can imagine, I'm looking for my mom because I know she's worried. I just look at her and I go like that. Really? And at that point, I felt like my career was over. That's how – depressive and down in the dumps you get when you get injured. And on top of that, my girlfriend and I, wife now, we had broken up, right? So, so I was in the basement as far as my psych, my psyche. It was it was terrible. So did Jack help you through that? No. What, no? Not at that point. Jack really kind of plugged in, I think, our senior year. Yeah. It was more uh, Unity Council. Uh, he started that. And then he actually – great story about Jack. We're digressing. Yeah. But, that's all we do. That's all we so do Jack, here. Jack, uh, and I tell this when I give tours, because uh, we do have uh, five full-time psychologists. Um, at the time, you know, Jack, I think, recognized, well, Coach Osborne recognized there was a problem on the team when it came to blacks and whites. There was there know, was a split. There was. You would go to the training table, and it was all black on one side and all white on one side. And Coach didn't like that. 
so he addressed it. And then I think that ultimately led to a unity council, which was not necessarily senior leadership, but leadership on the team that got together and policed themselves. And it still is in existence today. I think in some shape or form, Nebraska has uh, really kind of revolutionized a lot of things, right? Along the years of being in existence in athletics and coach Osborne was a big part of that innovation, but that's just one little piece of it. So Jack came in our senior year, but the one thing that I will, I do remember with Jack was before uh, the national championship game, we all met in my room, Aaron and I's room. And we got together and this is what, seven, eight hours in front of the game. And Jack, it is the first time that I ever was introduced to visualization. So he brought us into this environment in the room. Everything's quiet. Everything's dark. In football, in particular, on offense, you script plays. And so what he wanted us to do was come there prepared in our minds with the first 10 plays. And then he wanted us to go through each play systematically. But not only that, but in front of that, he got us to the game, right? He brought us all the way down, almost to where we were hypnotized, like I felt, just in this very mellow, quiet place. And then it's like, get to the game and visualize all of this. You're getting in the game. You're putting your pads on, going out, you're warming up. You're in the first series. Here's the first play. You're in the huddle. You see the quarterback. You hear the play. You go to the line of scrimmage. You see the, the defensive formation. You run the play. All the way to seeing yourselves winning the game. And then at, by that time, he's like, boom. Okay, now you're at this level of Are you jacked total at that point? consciousness, right? <laughs> Bill Murray quote, Caddyshack. Anyhow, so going I'm going to drink one of your Tapa Chicos. Do it, man. Dude. Sorry, I drank I appreciate all your beer, you. Uh, Owen came and took my last. <laughs> That's because Owen hates you. He, he does. He does. But I use I use that visualization the rest of my career. Really? Yeah. Even through the pros. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The the mental. So at, once you get to that level, it's ninety percent mental, right? You have all the ability to play the game, but the ability to overcome uh, some of the demons that that creep in there when you're playing, whether it's prepping and watching a guy that you're going against or during a game you get beat, you know, having the ability to overcome that, not a lot of guys can. A lot of guys go into the dump or a lot of guys can't get themselves. It is such a unique experience playing football, especially at a high level, college included, and even high school. You wake up the day of a game, things look different, they smell different, everything's different. It's like you're going into a fist fight Right. And it is a premeditated event that you're going to. You know what's going to happen. It's coming. Right. And so you're it is a bizarre. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, it's an, it's an incredible experience. It really is. Um, you know, and then having the ability to kind of visualize yourself through some of those things uh, and seeing yourself has success. That to me, outside of having injury, that creates longevity. That creates a, a person that's consistent. And those are the guys that have, without injuries, those are the guys that have long careers. Better relationships in college or pros? College. 100%. thousand times over, yeah. Just college, because of the business transaction right. of everything? It's the transactional part of it. It is a business. Um, a lot of guys won't even engage in relationships really? at the pro level. Yeah, because you, I, get, you get invested with people, and then all of a sudden know. they're gone. My family, we're hanging out, we're having Christmases together, kids, everything. Next thing, they're gone. 
It's which tough. I, yeah. I, although I feel bad because I had some amazing relationships with guys at the NFL level. I really did. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's, it's one of those things now that I look back on and I think about um, relationships that I have with people like you, Zach, Joel, Aaron, um, and even, I mean, there's guys like Brady Caskey, Brian Prue, guys that will mess and with think about how short, so often. A, yeah. how, how short of a time that was. Yeah. I mean, but it was the intensity of the experience yeah. over that four or five year span. It, it's kind of what I think builds that. I, I feel bad because I think about with, at the NFL level, because there was a, there was a handful of guys that I was with for a similar period of time three, four, five years. Um, that was maybe the max because that's how long I played. But there's a few guys I played with for for that whole time period. There, there's not that anchor. There, there, and I mean, for well, the guys that for the, for the at the college level, you've always got the school you played for the place you were at. But and we talked about this the last time. The difference is, and I feel bad for the players in the last 25 years at Nebraska, they haven't shared what we shared. I would agree. Yeah. Two years in a row, having an opportunity to yeah. do that and then winning it, that that type of experience and reflecting on what it took to get there and then winning it, that relationship never goes away. So when you yeah. see somebody, if I saw Troy Dumas, who I haven't seen in maybe 25 years, if I saw him tomorrow, I'd be like, Troy talks what is up? Troy, Troy talks really soft. Right. He didn't. I, I, he was a badass. Right. No, but, no. He but was, I never, what I remember about Troy. Yeah, I, he's, he's, he's Troy talked that way then. Yes. Troy talks that way now. And you're like, I remember going to the press conference in the South Stadium. He'd be like, what are you saying? I can't hear you. Yeah. Troy's a great follow on Twitter, by the way. Is that right? Yeah. But we used to work, so Troy and I, um, along with a bunch of guys, we never left the stadium in the summer, right? We would we would get there in the morning. We'd do our workouts, right, usually in the weight room in the morning because it was hot in the afternoon. You wanted to get your conditioning in when it was hot. And then in between all of that, we would work in the stadium. We'd scrape rails, paint steps. I mean, it was just a joke of a job. Um, but those relationships and some of the, we played the alphabet game. Right, so A through Z movies, and you know, call them bullshit on guys all the time. That's not a movie. What are you talking about? <laughs> you couldn't Google it back then. But he, you know, Troy, Troy'd be like twenty five flights of stairs down, right, painting a stair, and Mark Gilman be over here, and I don't know, uh, Larry Townsend be over here, and we just, I mean, we had a, just a, an array of characters, but we're yelling at each other, and those type of experiences, I'll never forget. And then you. You bond that at the end with a championship. So the relationships like Rob was talking about, the longest I was at one team was five years. Which was Steelers, right? The Steelers. And we played in the Super Bowl. So the the relationships I had, the relationships I had with those guys because of that, even though it was one year, you know, having that experience, like – I mean, think about how much I appreciate the national championship versus this. Is that a AFC championship? Ring? AFC championship. Is that we the lost stolen the, ring? We yes, that is the stolen ring. That's so right. take me through that because oh, that, that that was gone for nine years, right? Nine years. Yeah, that's so, a great story. By hey, the way. Here, yeah. I, I gotta let you know because I'm like God, I I need to know what to kind of pull out of you for this interview. And so yeah. I go to your Wikipedia page. It's like 
it's very short. The big old write up on the cash uh, for gold. Yeah, it, it's unbelievable. Oh, like a stolen ring. I didn't. Uh-huh. I had no idea. Yeah. So when I was in Kansas City, I'd signed with the Chiefs. That's a whole other story. The irony there was Will Shields hadn't signed his tender, and I had played behind Will Shields at Nebraska. Here I was. They signed me. They needed another starting guard. They had Zot, myself. So they signed me. Aaron Graham was there, and that was really, to be honest with you, they were paying me starter money, decent contract, good signing bonus. But AG was already there, and I was like, shit, I'm going to go play with AG. Let's go, right? So anyhow, go to Kansas City, and we buy a house in Overland Park, okay. which was one of the, I, I believe, the fastest-growing cities in the nation at the time. And it was just like house after house after house. We get there. I'm there for about four months, right, off-season workouts, all this stuff. We get to camp. Go through camp, and all the while in camp, and I think Rob was actually at their camp at the time, uh, Jacksonville was having issues with offensive linemen. Baselli was coming back from a knee injury. Uh, John Wade had a broken foot. They had a rookie left guard in Brad Meester. They had another guy, and Rob wasn't there. Um, he was a free agent guy. Um, Anthony, something I can't remember. Cesario. Cesario. And then, Anthony and then Cesario. their right tackle, guess who it was? I forget. Zach Wiegert. But the only reason why Zach was in there is because Leon, who I played next to for one year in Pittsburgh, had blew out his triceps. So Zach moves to to right tackle. This other guy comes in there, and then Zach ends up dislocating his elbow a little bit. So it was all the the news, right, out out of Jacksonville, and nobody wanted to play there. Camp Coughlin, tons of non injury grievances coming out of Jacksonville. Just Coughlin, the way he ran his ship was you had to get used to him, right? So, But nobody wanted to play there. Plus, there was this – I think a lot of people thought it was um, a cult, like a religious cult down there with Brunel and Buscelli, but it was completely far from the truth, fake news, right? So didn't know that. But then – so I go to Kansas City. We go to training camp. It's up in Minnesota. Um, the whole entire camp I'm having – the newspapers are basically like saying, well, who? And, and we just played San Francisco, and I played against probably the best three technique in the league in Bryant Young, and I handled him. And so because of that, you know, the papers were like, well, I, okay, he's not going to sign his tender, but we're okay. And then they signed another guy named Blackshear, and he was a beast of a man, came from Baltimore Ravens. So we were okay at the guard position, but it was the second to last day in Minnesota. Here I am again on a bike. They had bikes up there in training yep. camp, and I used to ride a bike <laughs> in the evening to kind of get the lactic acid out. I'm coming back, and there's Will, and Will was notorious. He wore a black leather like trench coat, and he was standing in the lobby in Minnesota at training camp. I'm like, shit, something's got to give. You got four starting guards. There's no way. So we literally we went back two days later, and we get into Kansas City. That morning practice, we still had one two-a-day left. That morning practice, I got one snap. Is Schottenheimer the coach at this point? Who's the coach? No, um, Gunther Cunningham. Okay. Oh, wow, Gunther. Pretty, forget about Gunther. He's the only reason why I was there. We played him three years in a row in Kansas City on Monday night. Yeah. And yeah, he liked what he saw. And he was a D coordinator yep. at that time. So, anyhow, so we're, there, we're in Kansas City. That morning practice, I get one snap. The second practice, I get zero. And nobody's talking to me. Not one. And I'm like... So there's the transactional part of everything going I'm on. I'm going, okay. All right. This is kind of cool, right? I don't know what's happening, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, fuck. Something's going to give. 
something has to, and it has to be me. So you have snack in the evening, right? And I'm walking towards Solari's office, who was the O-line coach at the time. And he's sticking his head out his office door. And Solari was an okay guy, whatever. You know, they ran West Coast offense. Yeah. And, you know, he thought he was the next Bill best Walsh. thing. Yeah. And he was really smart. But so he sticks his head out and he says, hey, Brendan Gunther wants to see you. And at that point, I just was like, oh, no. And it was like the longest walk I'd ever had up to that point in my career, thinking about everything, right? So I had a great camp, right? Everything was good. Will signs, something's going to give. I kind of forgot about the Jacksonville thing. I get up into Gunther's office. And first and foremost, I love the guy. He's passed away. Yeah. But uh, Aaron Graham and I, we would play guitar every night in my room, right? Um, and our neighbor was Elvis Gerback. So my neighbor at that time in training camp was Elvis Gerback. And Gerback, so they had like a talent show, and it was for rookies. And Gerback's like, dude, you guys, come on. You guys got to get up on stage and play. And so we did. And actually, Will Shields bought us the CD to get uh, the uh, the strumming right and the, and the lyrics right. Because we did we did two songs. We did Green Day, Time of Your Life. And we did... Um, Who sang? We all did. Oh, really? Yeah. And, we, and Aaron and I both played. And then we had a defensive lineman get up. Because we did Dixieland Delight as well. Yeah. So I walk into Gunther's office and it was great, right? I mean, the whole uh, rookie show was awesome. Yeah. Gunther's like, man, still my favorite part of camp. Oh my God, you guys getting up there and doing that shit. And he goes, I got, here's a problem. He goes, I got four guards and there's Jacksonville Jaguars. And I go, and he goes, they only want one and they want you. And he goes, I got uh, Tom Coughlin and Zach Wiegert on the phone. I'm like, no way. <laughs> I could not even like I dreamt this. Yeah. It was bizarre. Next thing you know, dude, I am in Jacksonville the next day. My wife and my person I invested with in Lincoln, he joined Jennifer. My mom stayed behind. She was in Kansas City. I had two kids. My mom had one of those disposable cameras. Yep. So she went to the game that we just played against San Francisco. Had a bunch of pictures of me with Kansas City uniform on number 77 by the way um i go to jacksonville and i show up i practice two days down there i'm ingesting a playbook that big luckily for me it was like kind language it was a number system and we ran kind of the same stuff in pittsburgh so two days to get ready for this game we turn around and go to kansas city (laughs) (laughs) we go to kansas city which is nuts and the, the funniest thing about this whole story was me walking. So I get there, right? Of course, you know, Camp Coughlin, all that stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm just like, it's a whirlwind of things happening in my life. I'm getting traded to go to Jacksonville. Um, we had to sell our house. We sold it in one day, by the way. It was a beautiful house. Good real estate market. Just like that. Point. Oh, it was incredible. Get down there. My mom stays behind. Jen's down there. We're looking for a place to live. Um, two days to get ready for this. Um, I could not stand the offensive line coach. He and I have mended ways. I used to work those um, uh, combines. Um, what the hell? They're the guys that don't get drafted. Uh, regional camps. I used okay. to work that for the NFL, and he was at one. So he and I kind of mended our ways. But, I mean, the guy was a screamer. That's all he did. Mike Mazur. You remember Yep, Mike? I he remember was, Mike. He was a complete spaz. In the meeting <laughs> rooms, he was fine. I love but that on, word. But on the field, I mean, the guy was I, – I called him pig vomit. He had a he had a birthmark on his face, 
right? And he would just, the whole practice, right? So I get there, remember, learning this playbook, two days. The first week with him was okay, but he forgot to mention one thing. They had an audible system, and it was based on bodies of water on the left and celestial on the right. So moon, star, sun on the right, audible this way. River, lake, ocean on the left. So Coughlin tells me I'm not going to play more than 8 to 12 snaps. A game? No, the first game. Okay. Back in Kansas City. Okay. I go into the locker room right before the game. It was it was classic. I walk in there, and I've got Jacksonville stuff on. And all the guys are going, Sty, what's up? I'm getting ready to play these guys in the last preseason game. That was cool. Get in the game, right? First series. They call play. They want to see me pull and trap. And again, I'm coming up the line of scrimmage, and everybody's like, Sty, what's up, Sty? You know, this shit. <laughs> so we get down. And, of course, it wasn't Brunel that was playing in this game. It was the last preseason game, so he wasn't playing. I can't remember the guy. He was Mississippi State quarterback. Remember his name? Taller dude. Nobody ever remembers the Mississippi State quarterback. I remember. I can see his face. I am blanking on it. Just saying. Dak Prescott's the only Mississippi State quarterback. I got got Quentin Newhar at center. Right. K-State. Yep, there you go. Brad Ulysses, Nebraska. Yeah, great guy. High School. Love that guy. Really? So here he is. I'm pulling to the left. It's a short little inside trap. Get down, and of course, quarterback calls an audible. And my coach hadn't gone over that with me. So I'm geared up. I'm ready to go. And I pull out of there, and it's a three-step drop for him. I pancake the quarterback. Luckily, he doesn't fumble. <laughs> pancake him. And, I'm, of course, I'm in my mind going, oh, shit. I'm not even going I'm, I'm to get fired before I even get on the field in regular season. I look over the sideline, and even Coughlin, all of the coaches, are laughing their asses off. I didn't think it was that funny. But so, you know, the game plays out. And next thing you know, um, you know, here I was in Jacksonville. And it was just like in a blink of an eye, that's your life, right? Yeah. And it just it was crazy. Okay, so, that's kind of weird because how'd your ring get stolen? Oh, yeah. oh we're gonna go back <laughs> that, to the ring. That was the story, by the way. <laughs> okay, so the ring. So remember, we had the house. Yeah, I left. All of my stuff um, had to get shipped down to Jacksonville, and before I left, I remember looking at it on my Rolodex, thinking, oh, "I'm not going to bring it." That's that was my memory. So we go. Everything's in storage, and down there, it's got to be climate control. And we had maybe four boxes because the house that we rented was on the ocean, Jack's Beach. It was nice, right? But we only had what we needed. Um, it was maybe three weeks into it. I woke up one night, I'm like, my ring. Like, literally, like, what? So I spent the next couple of days when I had time to go through these boxes. I'm like, shit, I'm going to have to wait until the end of the season when we move into a house, right? They sign me a new contract. We're going to stay um, and go through everything to find my ring. So, I mean, everything unfolds. I'm not going to get into everything that happened after that, but I never found it, right? And then nine years later, nine years later, I get a call from my mother-in-law, and it is the Fort Lauderdale Police Department who was contacted by Cash for Gold. And so, Cash for Gold now! Right? Exactly. <laughs> so what they, they had a system to where um, they would screen things coming in, right? And a lot of people were stealing shit and trying to get money yeah. for it. I mean, that's that was just what was happening. So anytime rings would come in, they would verify, right, making sure that they weren't stolen. And they had three at the time, and one of them was mine. So they 
They contacted Fort Lauderdale police. The the only number that Fort Lauderdale could come up with was through the Steelers, and it was my mother-in-law's house in Yorba Linda, California. So they called. The Steelers ended up calling. Well, the Lauderdale police called the Steelers. Steelers called my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law calls me and said, they found your ring. And so then what happened was, because of that, the owner of Cash for Gold, knowing that, you know, I guess celebrity, whatever, NFL, uh, I was very happy that they found it. The only thing that was left of all of it was just the ring. They had hawked the, the uh, what is that, onyx? Yep. And these were real diamonds. These aren't. These, this is a replica. So they had the just the ring itself and with no jewels in it. And the the owner of Cash for Gold called me and said, hey, would you do me a favor and um, talk about what happened with your ring? Because there were some things that happened after that. Somebody had stolen it, and it was a maid at the hotel we stayed at in Jacksonville. She sold it to a jewelry store in, I, I can't remember where, somewhere in Florida, and then somebody ended up buying it, and then they were using that ring to uh, make people believe that they were me. Really? And then, so, right? But I knew that because I had a feeling that that happened because when I was in Detroit, <laughs> we had just, so remember, we were 0-11 my rookie year in Detroit, not my rookie, my first year in Detroit, 0-11. Our first game, we beat the Vikings at home. We're celebrating in the shower and everything. The head of security comes in the shower and just rains like on my parade. He goes, hey, I got to let you know, um, the uh, Jacksonville uh, police or somebody had called in a um, identity theft. They're using your name, image, and likeness because they have your ring. I'm like, what? And they're swindling money out of old people. And the only reason why is there was a, a girl there whose sister was being courted by this guy. And she knew that he was claiming that he was me. And she was a Jacksonville Jaguar fan. That's not Brendan Stye. Remember, internet was wow. just kind of crazy. So I knew that happened. <laughs> like again. <laughs> so then down the road. So I never found it there. But then down the road, boom, they find my ring. I get it back. I still have it. Right, a cash for gold yeah. bag on it and everything. Um, and so I got on ESPN, and it was when I, actually Aaron and I were working together with Cabela's um, Trophy Properties, Premier Outdoor Properties. I had the hat on. I was like advertising for recreational grounds, selling property on ESPN. <laughs> so, so it's a long ass story. And I talked about the identity theft. Yeah, you know, and that was a big deal, back, uh, and it still is. That's crazy. There's all sorts of ways people can use your identity. So you, your career comes to an end. Do you have to work again? I, I honest question. Did, did you have to work? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So I was smart enough to put my money away and invest. But my Jen and I, our, our goal was to build enough to where when we're 55 and 60, you never have to work again. But the, the You're truth, getting close, dude. Yeah. The truth of it is you always have to work no matter what. And it's so amazing to me because, you know, people say they retire especially at an early age, dude, there's no way you can retire. I, I re walked away from football. I quit football, but in essence, you know, it never leaves you. And then you got to fucking find something to reinvent yourself because you're that, that person. Be a doctor. Yeah. Be a doctor. Well, think about it. he unplugged from football because the time was running out for him to take advantage of the medical. I, 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 I forget that. I go, why'd you come back? He goes, because they weren't going to hold my spot anymore. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. You know. uh, and so, you know, you set yourself up. You know, I was a player rep for five years, um, did everything that I preached to these guys when I was playing, how to manage your money, make sure you understand, 
you know, the way money Did works you want to do that yourself. because you didn't come from money? I mean, was oh, yeah. that a conscious thing? Well, to be honest with you, um, I didn't have the financial literacy. My wife did. My wife, her mom's CPA wealth management, and she still is to this day practicing. She's 76 years old, and she manages over $400 million of, of money. Oh, she does quite insane. well for herself. Yeah. No, she's, she's done very well. But then, you know, with my wife, I was the guy that wanted to stuff my money under my pillow. You know, I didn't really understand the, the investment side of yeah. things. And I'll never forget my second contract, which was going into my third year with How the Steelers. How much was that? Oh shit! My second contract. What was your biggest? Well, Detroit. That was my biggest. How Detroit. Much? Detroit was a fifteen million dollar contract. Again, it's not the contract; it's the signing bonus. Yeah. And the only reason why I signed with them, um, you know, <laughs> was because they stepped up, and you know, I was representing myself at the time. I was getting on a plane to go to the Giants, right? And uh, I was maybe not getting on the plane. We were driving to Orange County Airport. I was in med school at the time, but right. I was long gone. <laughs> right? I'm getting on a plane, driving to the airport, right? So, and it's it, who was the, the Big Ten commissioner? Uh, Warren? Uh, well, yeah. Was. War, war, was, yeah. What's Warren. his name? His full name? Warren. Oh, come on, I'm drawing a blank. He was the, he was the oh. pro contract negotiator for the Detroit Lions at the time. And because he's the president of the Bears now, he's the president of the Bears. Uh, he, he was a nice enough guy, but he was easy, you know. He was he was kind of meek in his approach in contract negotiating. Kevin, and I was Warren. Just, Kevin Warren, so I just told Kevin, I said, I'd like purged him from my memory. I know, yeah, right. After so, the mishandling of the COVID stuff, I've seen right. he's like gone. So I just told him, I said, listen, if you want, if you want this to get done, you better in the next two hours come up with the money that I want to sign. And he's like, we're not going to be able to do it. I'm, like, I'm getting on a plane and going to see the Giants. They want to pay me. And, of course, the general manager at the time of the Detroit Lions, Matt Millen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Matt. Uh, talk about, uh, you know, I'm a guy that uh, had no business doing what he was doing. Even though he was passionate, I mean, he just, he, he was not. A in over his head. In over his head. Um, so, anyhow, again, driving to the airport, boom, Warren calls me. He's like, you got it. And I was like. We pull over, I never forget, pulling into Mimi's Cafe parking lot, give my mom a hug. And yeah, so it was, that was for me, that was the big one. Uh, so, do you take care of your, did you take care of your mom with all your money? Oh, yeah. Good. Absolutely. Good. Yeah. So, you get done, you got you know, you're going to retire at 55 or whenever. Yeah. Um, you come back, you sell land with, with Graham. Right. You, you end up at the Husker Athletic Office. Well, is so, that where you want to be? I mean, is that... Yeah, I, I absolutely enjoy what I do right now. You know, the thing about um, what I do is I give back to a university that gave me everything. Incredible. Incredible opportunity. If I would have not made the decision to come to Nebraska, who knows what would have happened in my life. So I feel like I owe the university some of that, and it's enjoyable. It wasn't enjoyable through COVID, um, but, you know, I'm on track to do some other things. Um, of course, you know, we're in real estate as well. I have my license. You know, my yeah. wife has her own uh, real estate team. She does very well. Help her on the side, you know. So we have our passions. You know, we we uh, we invest outside of the state. You know, we're in California as well and in Arizona and you know, there's just, there's, there's also, I always tell people, I was like, don't, you know, if you, if you have the ability to invest in real estate, don't hesitate and start early, start building your portfolio. Right? You hear so, that Owen? You hear that Owen? 
Yeah. He wants also, me to buy property all the time. It's too late for me. All, just <laughs> takes one. It really does. Um, so, you know, we've invested in Lincoln. We've got a bunch of units in Lincoln. And it's a little bit of a headache because I manage them, you know. But You need a property manager. We've tried that. And they rip you off. It's unbelievable. And they nickel so you're and cheap your is ass. what I hear. Not cheap. Not cheap. Frugal. But my, my you two are line, alike. You are, the, you are the most frugal man I know. You have to be. <laughs> It's self-preservation. Yeah. Look out for yourself. Absolutely. So well, I tell you what, uh, Brendan, fabulous conversation. I appreciate you coming up. I know I, I, I was pestering you a lot, so no, I appreciate it. No, it was fine. And it worked out. Like I said, I had, you know, I, I wanted to be able to kind of kill two birds with one stone. And so it worked out great. Glad to be here. Excellent. Rob, you got to catch up with a buddy, too. Hello. I love you. <laughs> You're a large bald that's man. A, that's a great <laughs> impersonation. <laughs> I got him down pat, brother. Hey, uh, make sure to uh, download years, the uh, Betfred Sports years. app wherever you're at that's and uh, use Betfred when you make your sports wagers. Big thanks to Husker Hounds, two locations in the Omaha area, so make sure to frequent Husker Hounds when you need your Husker gear. Um, Connor Orr, I, we got to get with Connor. He, st- stuff's going on. I don't, I'm not going to send you to a website right now because he doesn't have one. I don't think he does. But if you need... He's a busy guy. He's a busy guy. He's a, he's a lawyer. Guy. He's an agent. Uh, you know, reach out and I'll give you Connor's information. And Central Federal Credit Union as well. Steve Swanstrom who gave Appreciate us the beer. Appreciate the beer, Steve. That's right. For Brendan Stein, for Dr. Rob Zadiska, for Owen Justice, I'm Travis Justice. We will talk to you next time on the Doc Talk Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. Betfred Sports.